Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Maybe, maybe you didn't know that uh, Movement Church plants churches. Maybe you'd forgotten, or maybe you're one of the people that thought, hey, whatever happened to those people that we sent somewhere? Uh, there, there's your update. Uh, we, uh, we are proud and excited to, to be a, a church that plants churches that, that plants churches, and we hope to do that time and, and time again. And, uh, and we think it's just good to, to communicate that, because uh, as, as Trey mentioned, uh, your, your dollars have been invested, and, and many of you sent friends, people you, you love, people that uh, are a part of that church, and it's, it's just good to be reminded uh, that God is exponentially multiplying our investment. There will be people uh, that will be in heaven because of that investment, people uh, who are, are part of contrast church and people who will come to know Jesus and, and hear the gospel uh, in Grandview because of that investment. And so we just wanted to, to celebrate that and, and communicate that today. And uh, while, we're, while we're communicating things, I wanted to uh, also just give a, an update on Movement is Coming, uh, our capital campaign. Many of you will know about a year and a half ago, uh, as, our, as our church was growing, as we were in the midst of COVID, we knew that we wanted to expand worship services and disciple children and students. Uh, and reach better into the community and also continue to, to plant churches. And so uh, we felt that God was calling us to put our first permanent home uh, on our 13 acres out on Walker Road and uh, right there across from Bradley High School and Memorial Middle School. And so we talked about that. We cast vision and, and dreamed and prayed about that. Uh, and long story short, uh, through a couple different efforts, uh, the people of Movement Church, you, me, us, the people of Movement Church, uh, committed $2.5 million over four years in, in cash and, and gifts and uh, we'll be able to, to make that building happen. And so since then, you've been faithfully giving and, and uh, we've been just walking in that process, uh, you know, from, from supply chain issues to ordering uh, things. Our, our steel beams will arrive here this month and we've been working with uh, different offices and getting approval. And, and we just wanted to, to give you an update. Uh, maybe, maybe you've heard the, the verse that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We, we believe that, uh, but this, this construction process has not been uh, perfect just in the post-COVID world and some different things that are out of our control. But we are at a place uh, where the, the final hoop that, that we need to, to work through uh, is, is some of the engineering comments from the county and things that they're giving us, uh, revisions and, and feedback. And, uh, and so we believe we're, we're close to the, the place where we'd be able to break ground and begin construction, but we are not there yet. So we are, we are not saying that to, uh, to point fingers at, at Franklin County. We're just simply asking you uh, and us as a church to, to pray for that, to pray uh, for our contractors, to pray for that, that timeline, and to lift that up. We believe that prayer changes things, and we say that. And so we believe this is something that, that we can pray about. And so I wanted to just ask us to, to take a moment and, and do that today. Uh, maybe you're new and you're like, I don't know anything about this building. Don't feel any, any pressure. But uh, for everyone else that, that's been a part of this, that's been invested in this, I'd love for you to just take a moment and ask uh, God to be with that timeline for us to be able to get approval and for us to, to be patient and to, to honor our government and learn what God wants us to learn in this process. So let's go ahead, take a moment right where you're at, pray and, and just lift up that process, pray for those engineering comments and that feedback and that approval, and I'll close this in prayer here in a moment.
God, we just this morning want to just pray and, and lift up uh, this capital campaign, this building, and this process. And God, we, uh, we are regularly reminded in life that we're not in control and reminded in this process that uh, we don't change people's hearts and, and minds. And so, God, we, we just give this to you. We pray that uh, uh, for the people that are working with this, from, from engineers to, to contractors and uh, just different parties, God, we, we just ask that you will um, just give them wisdom, that you'll move this process along, and God, that you'll give us favor and that we'll be able to see approval uh, with the county soon. God, we, we want to uh, make you famous in our community. We want to see people know you and, and trust you, and, and we believe this is what you're calling us to do. And so, God, we just, we give this to you and ask you to move. And God, as you do, we we want to commit to, to give you the credit, give you the glory, to not look for that for ourselves, but to, to know that you are moving and you are going before us. And so, God, we just say thank you in advance. Lord, help us to not be distracted. Help our eyes to be on you. And, Lord, we just give this, this process and this approval and the rest of the to-dos and the checklist to you. And, Lord, ask that you'll just continue to be in the margins of this project and in the margins of everything we do as a church. And so, God, we just lift that up this morning and just say thank you and just ask for your involvement and your blessing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you've uh, hung out at, at Movement Church uh, for any amount of time, you've probably heard us say that, that we want to be a place where people can own their faith and own their relationship with Jesus and, and own their church involvement. We've always said that we want to be owners and we encourage this concept called ownership. Now that's not to uh, speak down to renting or, or anything like that, but I think that most of us would agree there's a difference in owning and renting. When my wife and I bought our, our latest house in 2016, the first thing we did was decide that we re- needed to redo all the bathrooms and tear the bathrooms down to the, the studs in the wall and, and rebuild everything. My approach when we were renting was not the same. In fact, uh, when we would move out of an apartment and I needed to get my deposit back, we would have created holes in the wall. And so I'd usually just kind of put some toothpaste in there and make sure that it looked good enough that uh, we wouldn't get in trouble. And, and, and so in that spirit, we believe when you, when you own something, when you rent something, your approach is different, and we want to be people who are, are owning our faith. We're not saying this as a checklist. We're not saying this uh, to intimidate, but we think there's a couple of rhythms in Scripture that we see that God wants us to, to be encouraged in in our faith. And so these things are born out of a heart for the gospel. These things are born out of a relationship with Jesus, but we've defined ownership in this way. Ownership is, is spending daily time with Jesus, growing to be more like him, Ownership is consistent attendance in our Sunday morning gathering. Ownership is honoring God by giving a portion of your finances back to him. Ownership is involvement in a movement group. Ownership is serving on a volunteer team with your gifts. And ownership is regularly sharing the gospel and working to see that happen around the world. And again, we don't say those things to create a list. We say those things because we believe they're, they're, they're rooted in the gospel. They're not meant to be restrictive, but really just to clarify exactly what we think a life committed to Jesus will look like. And so we're going to spend today and uh, the next five, six weeks in a, in a series talking about this concept of, of ownership. And so as we, as we get going today, 
uh, this, this whole series is going to be rooted uh, in a passage in Acts chapter 2. I think sometimes it's tough when we say we want to own our faith, we want to we own the church, we want to take hold of our faith, and I think we, we don't always have a visual for what that looks like. And so I want to just read this passage to us in Acts 2. No church is perfect, every church has humans, uh, and yet we believe that this passage from Acts 2 shows a place where people were owning their faith and owning the church. And so Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Again, not a church that was perfect, but I think that most of us would say, man, when people are that focused and that committed and their eyes are on Jesus and they're changing the way they live their lives to bless others, there's something going on. There's some momentum there. And I don't think that it was because they wanted to be in a club. I think it was because their eyes were on Jesus. They, in their immediate memory, knew that he had come to give his life. They knew of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so the things that you were seeing them do in their lives were focused on honoring Jesus. They wanted to exalt Jesus with their lives. And essentially, their actions were rooted in the gospel. And so let me read this passage from 2 Corinthians to quickly just say what was going on in their hearts that was affecting their lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so what does it look like for us to be a church that is rooted in the gospel, a church that is rooted in relationship with Jesus and out of the overflow of our lives, we're loving each other. We're loving the world and we're making impact. Well, we want to uh, look at a, a passage today that honestly centers on that concept. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 38, verses 38 to 42, Luke chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one on your chair. If you want to just steal the Bible from the person sitting next to you, it might get awkward, but I promise they won't care. Just take the Bible out of their hand and we'll all be friends here in a moment. But love for you to, to turn to that passage just so we can see where our attention should be and what it will look like for us to be a, a church that's growing in a relationship with Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Verse 38 says this, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. 
But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were good friends with Jesus. And so there's a couple different interactions. We see moments in scripture where they're hanging out and where their lives overlap. And in this moment, Jesus and his disciples are, are traveling and they find themselves at their home. There are two sisters there. And, and as we read that, I'm sure you could see the discrepancy there. Sister number one, Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the defeat as a disciple would have, would have done back then as you would have learned from a rabbi. And she's sitting there just learning. And then old Martha is in a different mode. Martha is in hosting mode. And you've probably been in that mode. At least I find myself in that mode uh, with our kids. Sometimes we don't realize what our house looks like. We're living. And then as soon as you find out your movement group is coming over, you decide, you know what? I need to arrange the pillows the way they belong. And I need to get the blankets. And how long has that pretzel been on the floor? And why is there a yogurt lid under the TV? Whose yogurt lid is this? And where did it come from? And why is there yogurt on it? And why is the yogurt growing mold? Those things happen in your house too. Please don't judge me. But, but you know what it's like when you're, when you're in entertaining mode, you're just thinking like, this is not right. And this is not right. And I, I need to get a meal because we're hanging out now, but they're going to want to eat or they need snacks or they need a drink or the bathroom might not look perfect. And someone's going to eventually go to the bathroom. We've all been in that place. Maybe you're the person that worries about that. Maybe you're the person that's just like, eh, someone else will do it. You've got a sister Martha that's going to worry about it, right? But Martha is fulfilling this expected role. And Martha is upset because she's not getting help from Mary. And so when she went to Jesus, I think she thought that Jesus would be like, hey, Mary, your sister's right. Get over there and help her. And yet Jesus said, there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. See, women were expected in that culture to serve domestically. She was supposed to be doing these things, but she just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him as her, as her rabbi. She wanted to be his disciple and learn from him and listen to him and spend time with him, and that's where her focus and that's where her attention was. And Jesus, with that simple sentence there, validated everything she wanted, everything that was, we're seeing in her, in her heart and in her life right there. And Martha didn't realize that in her service, to Jesus, she was actually neglecting Jesus. So maybe, maybe you're a note taker. Go ahead and write this down. But one, something that we can, we can learn from this passage is just this. You can do a good thing and miss the best thing. You can do a, a good thing and miss the best thing. Because the things that Martha was doing in that moment, it's not like there's shame attached to them. It's not like they're bad things. And I think we could say the same thing about our lives, Right? What are the things that fill our lives? What are the things that fill our, our hearts and give us anxiety and distract us? I'm assuming there are some people in the room with jobs. Jobs can be quite a distraction, right? Jobs can be something that gets our attention and, and, and stresses us out. And we spend moment during the workday and, and yet moments at, at night focusing on our jobs. Our jobs fill our minds and our hearts and our to-do lists and so do our families, Maybe you've got kids, maybe you've just got parents, maybe you've got aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters, but you're supposed to call them like every 3.1 days, you have to FaceTime them once a week, you have to remember their birthdays and their anniversaries, and you have to drive them to soccer, and you have to do all these things, and family can fill our time. Hobbies can fill our time, because hobbies are, are something that's supposed to be good, right? And so we try to do things for our sanity, and we try to have balance and, and margin in our life, and we try to do things that help us relax, and so we fill our lives with all these things. We, we have careers, we have families, we have hobbies, we have good things, and even the example we see in this 
story, we, we do ministry, right? I mean, many of you are active in ministry. Many of you have a group. Many of you are trying to have a, a great relationship with other people and, and, and have an impact in their lives and we're trying to use our gifts and maybe you even volunteer here at, at church in a place. And so these things fill your life and you're thinking about other people. But sometimes when we're doing all of these good things, we're missing the best thing. Sometimes when we're distracted by these things, we're doing the right thing, but we're missing the best thing. And even when we're doing ministry, even when we're doing things that we would say are really, really good, really, really kingdom-minded, they can take our eyes off of Jesus. And one of the things we can pull out of this story is just this. Jesus didn't say that being concerned about household chores was bad, but he's, he's saying we need to set priorities. We need to understand not what's just a, a good thing or right thing. What is the best thing? What's the most important thing? And so we have to know that we can't let our service to Jesus become busy work that's disconnected from devotion to God. We have to understand that knowing Jesus is, is more important than doing for Jesus. And I know that's a complicated sentence, but we have to prioritize knowing Jesus above doing for Jesus. Because if we lose our why, if we lose our purpose, if it just becomes about the action and the doing and the keeping up, it quickly becomes empty. Because the problem is that doing for God is often so much more fun to us than knowing God. Or it's where we naturally go. It allows us to see ourselves in action and to feel important and to feel valuable. And even though we have desires where we say we want to change the world in the name of Jesus and we likely have some good intentions, we're often sometimes seeking out some self-importance. Here's the truth. Doing for God accentuates our abilities sometimes. Knowing God highlights his. Doing for God makes us feel productive. Knowing God, sometimes, if we're honest, we feel like it drains our time. Doing for God is seen by others. Knowing God is rarely seen by others, unless you're doing your devotions in a park with a sign that says, I'm a really good Christian or something. People don't see you spending time with God. And doing for God is quantifiable. You're supposed to do this and start this and purchase this and make this happen. And knowing God doesn't feel as quantifiable. Doing for God garners praise from people because sometimes they see us doing impressive things. But knowing God grants us affirmation from from one party. Sometimes we don't feel that in the same way. It's no wonder that we struggle to find time to sit alone with the Almighty God But yet we quickly say yes to all these other things, these ministry opportunities. One side of that equation amplifies the flesh and the other kills it and puts it to death and no one likes dying to themselves. Here's something we can learn. Don't let your service for Jesus become self-serving. Don't let your serving for Jesus become self-serving. And so we have to guard our heart and guard our motives. And clearly God is not against doing good works since he tells us that he has prepared good works for us in Ephesians. But in Matthew 7, we learn that doing good works without a personal knowledge of Christ only shows that we're lost in sin. Matthew 7.21 says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. If our good works for Christ 
aren't birthed from a personal knowledge and a personal relationship and reliance on him, that work is in vain. And so Mary's rest at the feet of Jesus trumps Martha's distracted ministry every time. God is not against good works, but he knows that doing good things can often lure us away from the stillness required to know him and rest in him and rely on him and listen to him and be led by him. And so we have to daily choose the inactivity, the the stillness, the resting that may feel like you're wasting your time. We have to choose time in his word and in prayer, even at the expense of other good things, even at the expense of other ministry opportunities and kingdom-minded goals. Because here's the truth. Only one thing can change the world. And that's a, a soul that's enamored with Jesus. Only one thing can enable a lifelong impact for the kingdom of God, and that's a daily pursuit of intimacy with him where we truly want to know him and know his heart and know his character and let it change ours. And so we need to make it our lifelong goal to dive deep into the character of God, to seek out all the facets of his character that we can find in his word and to diligently and faithfully wait on him in prayer. Wait on him in moments spent with him. Nothing will change us more. Nothing will change the world more. And we can't lie to ourselves and pretend that's not the case. Our big idea for this morning is this. Don't let anything distract you from spending time with Jesus. Don't let anything distract you from spending time with Jesus. And that probably seems like a really obvious statement. We read that story and we think like, oh, gosh, I'm glad I'm a Mary and not a Martha. And we, we instantly think that, that we're one sister and, and not the other. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, there are moments, maybe we're, we're split. Maybe we're just distracted. So the, the sad irony is that, that we often don't just sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him as our rabbi. We don't learn what our lives should look like because of what his life looked like. We don't spend moments reading and learning and listening and praying. Christian culture right now has told us that you can be deeply committed to being a Christian, but not actually formed by Christ. It might sound crazy, but I think we all know the radio station that Christians are supposed to listen to, and we know the people that we're supposed to follow on Instagram, and we know that we're supposed to love Chick-fil-A and Chip and Joanna Gaines, and there's certain things that evangelicals and, and Christians do, right? And we know there's a certain way to vote and how we're supposed to think politically, and so to us as modern American Christians, being a Christian is really almost about these cultural codes that we're learned and that we're discipled in and that we're taught. We're supposed to go to church and say prayers and volunteer and do good things, and I don't mean to talk down to those things, but I think it's an alarming notion that we can do all the Christian things and not be deeply formed by Christ. We cannot be deeply formed by Christ by spending one hour with him a week. And, and yet we, we think like, well, I'll try to get to church when I can, and that'll change me. And sometimes we think like, well, I also do this uh, other study thing. So I'm spending two hours a week with Jesus, and that's, that's going to change me. And I don't mean to talk down to that. I don't mean to insult that. 
But if we're going to be formed by Jesus or changed by Jesus, if he's going to influence our character and our decision-making and who we are at the core of ourselves, we need to be spending more time with him. We need to spend enough time with him that he can grow us and change us and mature us and bring us to a place of reliance. A deeply formed life that's in relationship with Jesus is marked by an ever-increasing reliance upon God especially in prayer. If we're looking to Jesus and and relying on God, we should be going to him in prayer and saying, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. And I don't know what's next. I don't know what to do. What do you want from me? Where are you leading me? Those should be the marks of our life. Sometimes our, our greatest temptation is settling for being a Christian at the expense of actually living in Christ. So where where are you in your personal relationship with Jesus? I think most people in the room would say they understand that they're separated from God and lost in their sin, but Jesus came to give his life to pay the price for our sins, to sacrifice his life so that we could surrender our life to him, so that we could know him, we could be rooted in him, we could be anchored in him, we could be found in him, and we can have a relationship with him and live our life as a response. But where is that response? Where is that relationship? Today, we're focusing on just the, the beginning of, of ownership because the other things can be talked about, but not talked about first. Everything rises and falls on this one, that if we're not spending daily time with Jesus, growing to be more like him, whether that's reading or studying or prayer or some other discipline, then we're not actually pursuing him. And we don't pursue him out of guilt or obligation. We pursue him because we're in love with him. We pursue him because he's all we want. He's what our heart desires. We want to be anchored in him and found in him. If you were to go home after church today and find out that your house and place that you live was on fire and you could grab one thing, what would that one thing be? The correct response would be your family, but let's talk more about shallow things, right? Let's talk about the things that you aren't allowed to tell your spouse. Like, oh, I'm really concerned about that. For, for me, that'd probably be my laptop. I'm just being honest. And maybe my guitar that my dad bought me just means a, a lot to me. And so there's some things that if, if you could only grab one thing, that's what you would take. Well, if, you're, if your life was on fire, you had to eliminate things. What, what would be the one thing that was the most important to you? Would it be... Netflix? Would it be the the show you've been watching where you're like, all right, I get to do one thing in life. That's it. Would it be your career? I made a joke that it might be your hobby of bourbon. And I had like 20 guys come up to me in the the lobby after first service and say, were you talking about me? And I was like, no, I was just teasing things that white guys like to do. So I guess I could have said smoking meat or golfing too. If you pick one of the big three, everyone thinks you're coming for them. It's not like that at all. But but what would be the thing that that if, if you could just have one thing in your life, what would that thing be? Would it be your time with Jesus? Is that what drives your life? Is that what feeds your soul? Is that what what is important to you? What's what's addicting to you? Is that the thing that your soul craves? I saw some stats this last week that I thought were pretty crazy. People who spend time with Jesus 
are changed. This is not just what some pastor says. This is not what churches are supposed to say. But people that spend time with Jesus, they they get drunk 57% less. They have sex outside of marriage 68% less. They view pornography 61% less. And they gamble 74% less. So even if you don't think spending time with Jesus is good, it changes who you are. And it changes your focus Spending time in the presence of Jesus, gazing on his face and listening to him and learning from him and patterning your life after him, letting him transform your character, changes you. It's not just some fun statement. Jesus changes people and changes lives and changes hearts. So we need to spend time with him growing and owning our faith. Our staff recently read a book called Future Church by an author named Will Mancini, and he told a story of a pastor named Richard who had uh, just started training his dog Shasta. It was a mini Australian shepherd that he got for his girls for Christmas, and he felt that he needed a little more professional help to go the rest of the way, and so he hired a dog trainer. And when the trainer came to Rich's house, Rich wanted to get him up to speed on Shasta's progress, and so Rich demonstrated for the trainer that he'd already been able to get his dog to sit and roll over and a couple different things, and after the demonstration, Rich thought the trainer would give him an attaboy and say, you're the best amateur dog trainer I've ever seen, but he was disappointed. Instead, the trainer deflated him and said this. He said, your dog is not trained, he just knows a few tricks. When Rich absorbed that the dog trainer told him that, a light bulb kind of turned on, and he wondered if something similar could be said of millions of followers of Jesus in churches all across North America, that attenders are not trained, they just know a few tricks. They know how to sing along with the songs on Sunday morning, they know how to pray out loud with holy talk that everyone else uses, they know how to interact in a small group study, and they know how to give an acceptable percentage of their income. But does that mean they display automatic responses in the way of Jesus in their daily lives? We get caught in the self-deception of knowing a few tricks, and Rich's dog didn't appear stuck in these stunts. He appeared adorably successful with his fun, repetitive feats. We go through the program motions as if something real is happening, and people know just enough devotional devices and Jesus put-ons to offer false validation that a deeper relational maturing work of God is happening. But is a deeper maturing relational work of God actually happening in our hearts? There is no substitute for time spent with Jesus. So don't let anything distract you from spending time with Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Is he leading your heart? Are you more reliant on him? Or do you just know some tricks This isn't about checking boxes or sounding spiritual or making sure that we're doing what churches are supposed to do. This is about saying that things distract us. Things take our time and rob our time and take our attention. And if we're going to be people who are building the foundation of our lives rooted in a relationship with Jesus, we have to spend time with Jesus. There is no substitute for that. So what does that that look like? Well, I think most of us know that that means spending time with Jesus, reading his word and, and praying, listening to him, but, but that, can, that can be tough to, to jumpstart. So might I, might I recommend a book called The Divine Mentor? It's a, a book that we used to read for our teams that we would send to Haiti, and it just talks about what it means to spend time with Jesus. It talks about the, the SOAP method, which is simply just this, reading scripture, 
observing what's going on in scripture, applying it to your life, and then praying that truth into your life. There's lots of places you could start reading the Bible. You could start in the book of John or the, the book of James or some of the, the books that people love to, to start in. You could read through the entire Bible in 90 days. You could do the Bible reading plans we have on our website. You could read the New Testament in 30 days or you could just say, I'm gonna read a couple verses or a chapter a day. If you're looking for a place to get started, may I suggest the, the version app. It's one of the most popular apps in the world. It's the Bible and it has reading plans on there. You can set up notifications You can set it up so that in the morning when you're just waking up and trying to figure out what happened the day before and if you still have a job, you can can say, all right, I need to spend some time with Jesus now. We don't do that out of obligation. We don't do that out of guilt. We do that because that is what fuels our life and fuels our heart. And as we spend more time with Jesus, we fall deeper in love with him. As we see the character of God, we crave the character of God. And nothing is more important than growing in our relationship with Jesus. We want to be people that own our faith and own our church and, and, and drive our church involvement, but we don't want to do that in an empty way that's expected of us. We want to do that because it's growing out of a relationship with Jesus. Don't let anything distract you from that relationship with Jesus, and don't let anything distract you from sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and learning from him. Let me pray. God, thank you that when we were lost and separated from you, you sent Jesus. Lord, thank you that because of his work, not because of anything we've done, we can, we can be forgiven of our sins and we can, we can spend eternity with you. We can know, know him and know you and be rooted in you. God, we don't want that relationship to just be something that we take for granted or something that is cultural. We want that relationship to be something that is anchoring our hearts and anchoring our lives and so help us to be people that seek you out that wake up early to know you that spend time listening to you in silence and talking to you and hearing from you and relying on you and letting you direct our hearts and direct our lives and direct our careers and direct our families and our marriages God help us to be anchored and growing in a relationship with you not because it's what expected not because our families told us to when we were little but because we crave you and we want to know you. God, help us to be that church and those people this week that are just spending time sitting at your feet, learning from you, Lord. Help nothing to distract us from spending time with you. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. It's in the name of him I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.